This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. Today, we are featuring a very special guest, Denise Avshin. She is the co-founder and CEO of Environmental Research Advocates, known as ERAScience.org. She partners with CNSI UCLA and Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics to bring inspiring science curriculum and programs to underserved inner city communities. And full disclosure, she is an old friend of mine. These are some amazing credentials, Denise, and we know you have others to talk about, too. Say hello to our listeners, and please tell us a little about your background. Did you come to Hollywood originally to be an actress? <laughs> Didn't everybody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, first, I, w- I just want to say that uh, it's an honor to be part of your podcast, and both of you are very dear to my heart and dear friends, and so... I consider this a fun and uh, a privilege to be with you today. Thank you. As to you. So what would you like to know? Tell us about how you came to Hollywood or what was your beginner journey? Exactly. I'm a Floridian and uh, there are times when you just say, a Floridian really? But I was raised in Florida, which is a, a great place to grow up. and. Uh, Florida was a magnet for film and uh, commercials from the Northeast and and from also from the Midwest. And so somewhere along the line, because I was a cute little kid who could remember words and things, I managed to get into the commercial business. So that started that. But I think as we'll talk later about this activism age uh, idea, uh, that was just sort of hardwired and I was uh, and this is a sort of a message for moms out there and I know there are a lot of women listening to this uh, when I was very very small I'd watched it at a telethon and I was so moved it was for in those days crippled children fund or something like that and I was just struck and they had a song about not being able to walk and talk and, and I was I was so galvanized by this as a very small child I got this little box and I remember having a bathing suit on and I think my brother would fall around behind me to make sure nobody thought anything would happen I just walk in Fort Lauderdale it's uh, called the Venice of America and these little aisles so I walk down and knock on doors I knew almost everybody and asked for some money uh, for the crippled children and uh, it was a positive experience because people would say wow that's really great and we're proud of you doing this. And so I collected money. And so I talked my mother into driving me to Miami to uh, drop this money up. So that was sort of this combined interest in the arts 
because of acting and getting that positive feedback and how fun that is being on a set with creative people and uh and then the activism so that is uh basically the beginning of all of this and how did you find yourself ending up in los angeles uh years go by and i had been in college and then i went to london to finish up my education uh, i was in college in atlanta georgia and then went to london film school for a while and came back to new york and i started um doing a lot of theater around the country dinner theater different kinds of uh, mostly dinner theaters and uh came back to florida and started thinking what's my next step what do i want to do and that led me to la i thought well let's try la let's see what's going on i think that's the dream of a lot of people that are coming here young people coming here on buses and trains and everything and you uh i felt that i had filled up enough of a sort of credit list um and i thought okay time is right this is this is it i'm going to go out there and i'm going to take the world by storm that's what everyone thinks when they come out and so it what i didn't know is it would actually be um the beginning of a wonderful life and along the way you met your husband terry abshin who's a prominent attorney and your co-founder of era science so tell us a bit about that journey a bit of a storybook romance was it and talk about your son too well i met my husband in 1980 on a blind date and the way this blind date happened is interesting because it was set up by his mother and my aunt so i came out to la and i and i had sung a lot i had uh, sung in theater did musical different kinds of things and i had an aunt who was a singer in the 50s her name was kitty callan she was quite well known and she said um i'm going to take you over to a friend of mine because i need to make some money she is casting uh background work studio work for industrial shows that she's doing and she took me over there and the door opens and here's this woman and that's Sandy Ashton who's my husband's mother and she hired me for the and it was just a really fun thing what i didn't know is they were putting their brains together to make this happen and i had met lots of people on the road and i had met people in london met people in florida so i was trying to make friends i was just trying to i'm new in town um you know uh, do you want to have coffee or do you want to have dinner i sort of overcame that shyness that we all have when we move to a new town but i knew i wanted to start a life and so turns out I, his name is on this list and i thought well wait i can't say no to going out to dinner or something with him because that's sort of the boss's son <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we set up the blind date and i'm a half an hour early is a half an hour late and uh he said how i know you i said i have a little elephant pin only jewelry i had big mistake because i'm sitting at harry's bar and kathy you know you remember yes. that area at the schubert and uh sitting on the bar and it's an hour of these young men because all it seemed like all lawyers live and work in century city so he shows up and within that hour i had shown off my pin and my chest and wiggling my shoulders at every young man who comes in the door and he walked in and what I'll say is um as as you guys know as we've talked over lunch and things there were light 
it looked like light bulbs in his eyes. I just looked at him and I knew he was my date. And uh, there was just this soul connection. And uh, I made it to dinner and that's 1980. So that's uh, 40 years ago. And uh, I love him to pieces and I feel blessed every day. I love that story so much. Oh my gosh. And you guys have a son together too, right? We do. We have a son, Brian. He is now 28. Hard to believe he's 28. He's studying engineering. He's uh, the light of our lives. He's a wonderful kid and uh, very handsome. The other day I was telling someone, they said, how's Brian look now? I haven't seen Brian since he was five. What does he look like? I said, well, he looks like a smart, hot firefighter. (laughs) (laughs) He works out. He looks incredible. He's not that nerdy engineer type. So I'm very proud of him. Uh, But thanks for asking. He's he's just a great kid. You You know that. Yeah. Did your um, work in Florida, was that the beginnings of your inspiration to be a philanthropist? And uh, did someone in your family inspire you? No one in my family. Um, I had those experiences young. I was always acting, but at, at one point, well, I also did because of my education, marketing and journalism. So I got a great job doing PR at a place called Uh, this cricket club, which had expansive holdings uh, all over South Florida and and also in Las Vegas. And I did, I I just lucked into this great job um, at being the head of their um, marketing. And I couldn't believe they paid me that kind of job that I hope all your listeners have a job like that when you're young, because when you're young, it's like someone plugged you into a light, into a socket and you can't stop. So I had this this great, great, great job. And uh, one of the things I got to do was invite whoever I wanted to, to speak at this club. And um, so I I became very interested in um, women in radio and television. And certainly uh, the one that was dear to my heart from my childhood, they had changed the name from Crippled Children's Fund, which is, thank God. Um, And... uh, I was able to connect with people and hear about their needs and hear about human desires and what people were hoping to do. And I found it very interesting, but it wasn't really a core um, driving force. The driving force was acting and marketing and making a living. Yes. And something you told me about somebody that changed that for you or like lit a fire under you. Once I came out here? Yes. Ah, yes. Um, Well, I came out here uh, to follow this dream. Would you like to hear one more cute story about my romance with my husband? Yes, of course. I came out and part of this singing thing, when I was trying to act and sing and make money, I had this little act at Gazzari's on Sunset Strip. And I didn't know if any of your listeners might have remembered, well, you know Sunset Strip, and there's a place called Gazari's. Kathy, you must remember that. Uh, vaguely. <laughs> so I, had a little act I remember. I had an act there, and I was already dating my husband, and I had a band, and it was kind of light rock kind of thing. And I was there, and uh, I wanted ter- Terry was going to come, and he was going to bring some of the, he was working really late. He didn't have a chance to go home and change, and he brought all of his young associates. We were very young at the time to hear his girlfriend sing. 
and uh, a girl came in the back, um, girl in the band, came in the back and said to me, your boyfriend's here. I said, how do you know it's my boyfriend? She said, because there's a line of guys in suits out there. So, because I was in the arts and he was in the, you know, so this came together. So I think that in blending these two personalities, this straight-laced attorney and someone who had come really from an artistic, more of an artistic free thinking uh, perspective, you in a good marriage, you become more and more like each other. So I would, uh, I, I stayed in that and I became more and more pragmatic because I felt he was very pragmatic. At the same time, I had met a fellow named Leonard Stern. And Leonard Stern was a um, prolific, brilliant person in the entertainment field. He was the, he founded the Producers Guild and he was the uh, first president of that for 13 years. In any event, um, he, uh, I had lunch with him. He was like a godfather to me, and I just thought he was amazing. We're having lunch one day, and he said, you know, you're creative, and you have a lot of things that you do well. I said, thank you, thank you. And he said, um, if you weren't in the arts, because it's a difficult field, what do you think, what would you do? I said, you know, I think I'd be a nonprofit, and uh, I think I would want to help homeless people, because I think that a lot of people in the arts come here, and they're here and suddenly they're living in a car and then suddenly they're staying with friends and they run out of that largesse from their friends and it's difficult. And I think they end up on the streets. I think it can be tragic. And I think I'd like to work with, he said, hey, let me tell you something. He said, there are a lot of ways to get applause in life. And that really resonated with me. It just was that aha moment where I thought, oh, because a person in the arts is looking for, you're looking for that recognition through your creative force. You're waiting for that inspiration to channel into you. You're, you're, you're hoping that somebody will appreciate what you're, what you're trying to create. Um, and when he said that, I thought, well, that would make me feel good. And I don't need that recognition. I just want to do it. So that was the beginning of this nonprofit. Uh, That's thing. wonderful. I wanted to ask you because you have an extensive background in charity work before mm -hmm. your current foundation work. Sure. I met you when we were both on the board of people assisting the homeless. So yeah. please tell us about the school on wheels that yeah. you worked on with PATH, people assisting the homeless. Well, well, PATH, you know, as you know, and, uh, and you and Ken uh, were such great inspirations and, and financial support and uh, you know, just amazing with that organization. I had come from working with an, another ho homeless uh, organization downtown and was looking for something on the west side. I met Suki Goldman who had started uh, with Claire Westor, bringing people together. And she said, I want you to meet this woman, Claire Westor. And, uh, it was uh, a moment that changed my life as maybe yours, Kathy. And she was just a spectacular, soft-spoken leader. And she said, um, come on this board. And I met you and I met many people on it. So as time went on, much of my direction in, in uh, my interest in philanthropy is geared towards youth and children. Um, and 
I realized that there were at the time, maybe 11,000 at that time, maybe today too, children living on the streets. These are not the ones in the shelters. They're in boxes on streets. Los Angeles, as everyone knows, is a sprawling, sprawling metropolis. So I came across uh, through my son's education, through school, uh, got PATH involved with the school, had them named uh, their charity of all the Beverly Hills schools. And uh, I came across this group, um, School on Wheels, and it's a great organization. And they go around and they try to reach out to kids that are living on the streets. So I went to them and I said, hey, we'll give you a room at this new shelter, this uh, center that Beth was building. Um, and uh, would you come and do a tutoring thing? I had uh, put them together. There was a family, it was a woman with 10 kids. She had had 11, one died. And she was on the streets running because she thought that social services were going to take her kids away. She had no money and uh, it was a very difficult situation. It was too many people to put in one of Pat's affordable housing uh, programs. So we put them in another facility and I needed, I wanted to get the kids up to age, you know, so that they could age level, grade level, so they could go to school. And so that was, so the woman who ran School on Wheels said, hey, Xerox is going to give us a grant. And they brought tutors and computers and all we had to do at PATH at the, at the Madison uh, site was give them the space. So that was so satisfying. At the same time, um, my father had died in 1988. And in most of my, and I bring these stories up because I think listeners, you know, how do you get into uh, activism? What makes an activist? I was an activist in college, which I hadn't brought up. But what, what, it's, it's a passion. So you see something and you think, I hurt about this. So the homeless thing, I hurt about the homeless issue. And I had to do something. Uh, I became the founding chair of National Parkinson's Foundation on the west side of the United States, uh, mostly in Los Angeles, because my father died from that. And I couldn't deal with the grief. So I went to, they, they were only in the East Coast. I went to them and I said, hey, you're not in California. Can I help? What can I do? They said, oh, well, you want to help? Do it. And I was like, oh. So they gave me names of people who were um, active in it, a few celebrities, um, which helps. And uh, I sought them out. So that was really how that started. So if you look at anything that I've ever done, it sort of sparks off of something. Mm-hmm. Yes. Let's tell us more about your focus on youth. One of those was the American Film Institute's Youth Outreach Program in Colors United. It sounds amazing. That's a nonprofit organization designed to rehabilitate high school-aged ex-gang members through the arts. Tell us about these. Uh, this was a great group. Um, while I was on the Board of Governors for American Film Institute, I was also involved with a group called Show Coalition, which was started by Patricia Medavoy. A fabulous organization. It was more of a politically ba political educa education-based uh, program for people in the entertainment industry. And they would, have, they would have speakers come and they would have action items. And so these two guys came uh, and talked about their program in, at, in uh, South Central LA, some of the worst situations. Jordan High School is a high school that has 
five projects feeding into it. And the kids are gang members mostly. And because that's what they know, that's what they see. And so they had been, I think they had been a halfway house. They had helped kids before. They came up with this brilliant idea had to have them, because they lived in Watts, write Watts Side Story, which was a sparking off of West Side Story. At the same time, I was involved with uh, um, American Film Institute, and I became vice chair of their youth outreach. And I thought, ah, symbiotic. So I proposed that we get Robert Wise, who was obviously alive at the time, who had done West Side Story, and screen it up at, uh, up at AFI in a screening room, and bring these kids uh, from the worst area in the world, the South Central Terrible School, there, and, and start giving them outings that had dignity, re restore their personal dignity, these children, who really had given up a lot because uh, a few of the kids had been in the Crips, which you know is a very dangerous group. They had you know, a lot of murders involved and all of that. And they gave everything up. And we showed them um, West Side Story. And Robert Weiss had a Q&A. And the little girls, all they wanted to know is, how'd you cast Natalie Wood? So, <laughs> but it didn't matter. It was just the fact that they started to feel good. And with them, we got ended up getting them jobs, internships at Sony Studios. We just started reaching out. Everybody had a contact. And it was just so gratifying. And um, so that's that story. I mean, they that were, is a beautiful symbiosis yeah. of, you know, the way that came together. And I know you're also extremely committed to the Brent Shapiro Foundation for Alcohol and Drug Awareness. And their mission is to change the trajectory of young lives. So tell us how you came to be involved with them and sit on their board. Um, my husband and uh, Bob Shapiro are both attorneys and they're partners. So my husband does um, environmental disasters and uh, has done that for a lot of years. And Bob is a criminal attorney. He was OJ's uh, attorney and put that dream team together. And he had two sons and uh, one son who was particularly fond of Brent, who the organization is named Sadly died at 23 years old uh, from a combination of alcohol and um, ecstasy, I think. And it was just gut-wrenching. And he had been clean for a while. And as you know, if, you're, if you've been clean for a few years and you start doing it again, and you do what, the amount of drugs you did before, that's crazy. So he had, uh, he aspirated at night, he drank and then he did, and he, and he was brain dead and they had to pull the plug. So uh, Bob is a very uh, motivated person and he immediately uh, told, there were like 2000 kids at this funeral, because Hollywood, young Hollywood. And uh, he told all of them, he said, I know who you are, we're not shirking away we are going to go forward and we're changing this right now. This is it. And he started this foundation. He asked me uh, to be part of this journey. And of course, absolutely, yes. And so it's, it's very big now. It's um, uh, all over the country. They team with um, boys and girls clubs. Usually it's in that area. And uh, the, it's just great. So they, uh, it's incentive-based. The first, if you're clean for a month or two, you have to agree to uh, be tested. 
And so I'm very happy with that because with that, I can bring some of the science that I do uh, with UCLA, mostly with UCLA, to these kids. And we can have programs, certainly now I've taken them to, I've combined these two programs at um, educational fairs like Univision with uh, one of my other partners is Univision. They have a fair education fair. So I've brought the UCLA um, teaching thing that we do and the, uh, and the Brent Shapiro kids and throw them together. And it's been great. Denise, oh, tell us all about ERA science and how you came to form it and what kicked it off since you mentioned the word science. Thank you. Well, that's my baby, so I'm happy to talk about that. Um, and you can stop me if I get long-winded because everybody wants to talk about their babies. So uh, this started uh, 2008, I think we started thinking about it. And my husband, Terry, uh, wanted to give back. He, he's, uh, as I said, an environmental attorney and uh, has uh, had some precedent-setting cases. And he wanted to give back. And uh, uh, I thought it was important that he... Uh, that that at the time I wasn't even thinking about myself on it. I was thinking it was important for him to start something uh, that wasn't linked to other charities because there's so many environmental groups around. He thought, do I sit on the board or whatever? I said, let's start our own. And because I had started one with Parkinson's Foundation, I sort of knew basically some of the ropes in, in getting it up and running. So uh, I had read an article in New Science Magazine. I don't know if any of your listeners, it's a, get it. It's a British magazine on science, very cool. It's like People Magazine for science. So you don't have to be really smart into science to, to get it, to understand it. So in it, there was this awesome article about how, uh, I think it was like 17 Nobel laureates have petitioned the Nobel board to uh, add environmental science to their prizes and they said no. Uh, the last time they had added something at that time was economics in 1948 or something like that. And they wrote about this and they were really surprised. And I said, well, to my husband, I said, let's go and meet all these 17 people. Let's just travel around and, and you know, start putting a board together. Um, and we incorporated- You really became the entrepreneur of foundations. I mean, you figured out how to make these things come together. That's an amazing talent. Well, thank you. Thank you. So, yeah. So but, that... Yeah, tell us more about ERA, though. What do you do with ERA? Well, so it, it has evolved. So we put a great board together through that. Um, and it started out where we fund research in the area, in the area of alternative energy. Um, and one of our, Roberto Ricci, who is uh, the fellow at UCLA, who nominates uh, the Nobel recipients, he said that if he had had money, uh, any kind of money, didn't have to, <laughs> didn't have to be huge, uh, in his early days, it would have moved his research up a decade. Well, that was important here. And uh, so he started a funding research with young investigators. So postdocs, grad students, you know, and started getting these things in. It's very hard to call through and getting our board to look at everything. And that was satisfying. We were more of like a clearinghouse. So we wanted to bring industry together, or we did, 
uh, corporations together, save them research and, and uh, development, and they could look at whatever science they wanted to pull. In the meantime, my heart was in education and young people, and Terry was very busy with his career. So I started taking it farther into education, and uh, we started a program K3, Mr. Energy would go and talk about energy and little kids. And uh, along the way, um, and we worked with UCLA, uh, we made a connection with them to have a Fulbright CNSI, which is nanoscience. Uh, it's the tiniest, they study the tiniest science. And it was started by Gray Davis, who was our governor at the time, Sharon and Gray, who are friends of yours and of mine. Um, and it's just a great program. So uh, they, um, we put them together with Fulbright Canada and it, ended, it, it resulted in um, two Fulbright chairs in, every year in perpetuity. So that's awesome. And uh, Canada pays for it, so it's so cool. So we became very friendly with the Canadians. And one day this fellow from, um, Perimeter Institute, who is one of our, this is how that partnership started, wanted to make an appointment. And uh, Bob Shapiro has this line, if it's not going to, there's another line, listeners, that you might, <laughs> I love these little quotes from people. If it's not going to hurt my reputation and it's not illegal, I'll meet with anybody. So I keep that <laughs> in my head and I thought, okay, well, yeah, I have no idea what we're going to do with a physicist. And uh, I don't even know what that... And he shows up as really dashing kind of, he doesn't look like a physicist and he shows up at our offices and uh, I still couldn't figure it out until he started talking about education. Tell us a little bit more about the uh, UCLA California Nanosystems Institute and, please, um, and explain it further because a lot of people don't even know or understand what nanosystems is or are. And also tell us more about the high school students involved in that and how you got the idea to do this. Uh, California Nanosystems Institute. It was started by Gray Davis. Um, he had a grant, I think, of $100 million. He took it, you know, and started this program for nanoscience, understanding that would be the future. Smaller than atoms. I mean, the tiniest... Uh, thing you know of, of science element of science and that's what everything is gearing towards like smart bombs for cancer or glass that can uh, activate as a solar cell and it's in everything that you do it's bringing it down to the tiniest tiniest of elements and uh, it's a it's a fantastic study they're in medical, they're, uh, they're, they're great work in graphene, which is a tiny element of strength. And also, that also refers then to the Perimeter Institute with uh, Stephen Hawking. Hawking. Right, right. Yeah. So we had been involved with CNSI, with UCLA, as I told you, with this um, Fulbright chair. So we're very wired in with the Canadians and this one Canadian from Perimeter wanted to meet with us and as I said, uh, uh, I'll meet with anyone. If it's not going to, if it's not illegal and it's not going to hurt my reputation, as Bob Shapiro says, I'll meet with them. So he came to the office, couldn't figure it out. And it turns out we were doing this program for K3 in energy. They were doing a science uh, program in physics, theoretical physics throughout every province in Canada and other parts of the world, but not in the United States. 
And so I said, well, why aren't you in the United States? And they said, well, we just haven't gotten here yet. I said, well, I'd like to bring it to California. We can start in Beverly Hills. Let's, let's see that. I said, but I can't do it unless I come there. So I got on an airplane and went to, it's outside of, it's in Waterloo, Canada. It's outside of Toronto, about an hour. And it was incredible. So Stephen Hawking, it's the only place outside of Cambridge that he had agreed to put his name on. And the reason he, you know, he, he, uh, he just uh, thought they were great, the work they were doing. And they were going to help him with being able to talk to his uh, devices. He was losing a muscle. So he was a great fan of theirs. And I went up there and I spent about a week. Um, and uh, I just was so impressed with the town and with the work and it's very advanced. And I went to, I called up this friend of mine uh, who was married to the Consul General from Canada. And I said, I'm gonna try and go see these education programs. Will you come with me? Because she taught um, disadvantaged kids or kids with issues. And she said, yes. So I figured I'll say yes to anything. I need, a, I need an actual educator with me. So I asked them, I said, I'd like to see a high functioning and a low functioning in this class. And it was just great. I went to a couple of schools in Canada and in Waterloo. And uh, at the end of one of the classes, I said, hey, I think I'm understanding black holes. Is that possible? Because it was just so clear and, and so great. And I said, I'll bring you to the States. So. May I, I say that was such a bold move to say, I'm going to bring it to Canada, uh, to California, but I got to go look at it in Canada. <laughs> I, got, I just admire your guts and your oh, you. hutzpah. You know, you just go do it. Make <laughs> it happen. It. Make it well, happen. Well, I think for your listeners, I think that's, you know, we're all shy listeners. You know, everybody thinks, oh, I can't do that. I can't face this. I can't do that. Or that's bigger than me. Or I can't. You know, it just go for it. Just whatever your dream is, you just, you know, you hear it in your in your head and in your heart. And sometimes we go, oh, I can't. And that's when you say to yourself, I'm going to. Maybe I can't and maybe I'm going to be humiliated. And maybe this isn't going to work out and I've wasted all this money on a plane ticket. But it could turn into something magical and you just don't know. You've got to take a leap of faith, ladies. I mean, that's, that's, that's so it. good. Yeah. So I what are your, Denise, what are your upcoming events for ERA Science? Is uh, there anything online do, since schools yes. and events uh, you know, we in person can't help, can't work right now? Uh, we haven't, um, I don't know what we can have listeners do, uh, but we have a program, we have several programs that we do. We do teacher education where we train teachers from the inner city in cutting edge science. And they take these uh, wonderful classes back into their schools. Uh, I had approached a lot of schools before UCLA came on, uh, organizations downtown uh, Los Angeles. So we ha also have a lot of nonprofits that help inner city disadvantaged schools. We have uh, 460 teachers in the database right now. And most of them, all of them underserved uh, schools. And one, so what happened with, we have a competition for kids that was started because a, a wonderful teacher wanted to thank me and gave me a clip of this little girl saying, hey, I learned how to make a solar cell, I'm gonna be rich. And I thought, oh my God, this is like mother of invention is not the mother of invention's necessity. They have no idea, this is not true. We have to have a shark tank for kids. 
So we started something, we got the School of Education, Anderson School, the Anderson School of Business and School of Education. We started this Nanovation Shark Tank for kids and it's fabulous. So they have a curriculum, lasts for uh, most of a, yeah, a year. And uh, we do a Shark Tank, they present it, they work together, we give them a mentor from UCLA and they learn in a non-threatening, non-professional, uh, but they have real professors, they have, we have real sh um, uh, venture capitalist guys. They Just have to clarify, they're, they're doing their own inventions, right? That's right. So quickly, I don't want to use up all your time, but it's a, it's a cute story. Do you want to hear it? Yes. Yes. There was uh, the first year, these middle school kids, they're supposed to be high school, they slipped in girls, tiny, tiny little girls showed up 13 years old and they had this, they sent in a proposal and we start with a, a, over a hundred schools and pro, uh, classes and stuff, get it down to 10. So it's only 10 teams, very competitive. And uh, she, her grandfather had died from an infected pick line, which is when you have cancer, if you put a line in, um, they can get infected and people can die from that infection. So she had this dream, this 13 year old kid, to put a sheath over the needle, which would emit stuff to kill whatever was whatever bacteria or problem was in there infection and it would um bring in it would absorb the the bad stuff so amazing so they came and they were and most of the kids are 16 17 that's a big difference when you're 13 and uh <clears throat> they presented and of course the science is off their babies and this top scientist at ucla was just being mean to them he was being mean to me. He was like, well, you know, that's preposterous. No, I don't think, you know, that kind of stuff. And I was giving him dirty looks down the row. <laughs> and after it's over, this little girl walks up to him. They all walk up to him. They're like, you know, like in, in formation, they're a little, you know, teenage girls. So walk up to him. They said, Professor, you brought up some really important points of view. Can we have your card? We'd like to continue the conversation. And I thought, <laughs> oh, my God. That's so great. So I fought for them in the judging and they, they tied for first. It was amazing. But that kind of stuff. So that's been going on like six years or something like that. And we have, uh, you know, get great feedback. Some of these kids are now, you know, and you have teachers say, my students who, who did this or send me a letter or an email, um, how it changed their lives. There's one little guy from this area, most of the kids in the school are Vietnam, he's raised by a single mother two kids, no money, she she's makes 13, supports them on $16,000 a year from being a manicurist or something like that. And uh, he's, he now is wants to go to college and is getting grants because he said he learned respect for himself through this program. And he's met, met mentors. And so that's why I'm happy about that. Uh, that is so program. beautiful. And Thank not, you. and to change subjects a tiny bit, I was okay. privileged to attend your beautiful fundraising event for Jane Goodall for her 85th birthday last year. And this year she just celebrated her 60th anniversary of beginning work with the chimpanzees in the wild. And I know you were hoping to do another event for her this year and couldn't because of the pandemic. But tell us all about wonderful Jane and your friendship and how it came to be. Jane. <laughs> I, I love her. Everyone listening must be saying it the same way, right? You just 
whatever you say her name is like Jane. And that's the name of that beautiful documentary. It's just called Jane. Yeah. Everyone, should, chance, everyone should look that up. Yeah, it's, it's great. So I met her. I have a cousin who uh, is a li liaison from the um, from the Nobel panel, Nobel laureates to the UN. And he had named years ago Jane as, as a messenger of peace. And so I've seen her stuff, going to stuff to see that. And uh, I needed a speaker for something here in LA. Called him up and I said, I have a friend, a different friend. And he said, what about Jane? And I went, what? So I met with her team and they said, uh, what about a birthday party? So the, the, uh, so it just evolved. And then I met her one day, as you know, went to her hotel room. Did you, you want that story, the hotel room? Yay, I love the hotel so room. So I went to this, uh, I went to her hotel thinking we're just gonna look at the program, not her, her team. We're gonna look at the program. And I had seen her with my cousin and stuff, but I was really shy about this. And uh, I get there, totally slobbed out because I'm just gonna work on the program. And they go, okay, come on. I went, where are we going? They said, Jane wants to meet you, come on. So we go to her hotel room and I'm just going, I had no, why didn't I know? She opens up the door and she says, huh, would you like a glass of scotch? And I went, uh, yes. And all I knew about scotch is you put one ice cube in, a friend said you put one ice cube in, it makes it, because I didn't know anything about it. And I said, oh, I know, I'll have, one. she said, how do you take it? One ice cube. And she said, Oh, you know, they'd run me out of Scotland for that. I said, what? And she said, I said, how do you do it? She said, oh, I put a splash in. So really the splash was like a, like a, an atom, one atom of water. And uh, <laughs> it was in a big glass and I got plastered. She's fine. But the great thing about it was this friendship started because I was loose enough and she, we were talking about her journey and what she thinks about life and this gr great story about where she thinks you know what her you know what her feelings are about humanity and the end of her life and her like it was just great so since then so we had the birthday party and ken and kathy were just awesome and brought friends and did i mean just amazing thank you um but since then we were but you raised a lot of money at that event for her foundation we raised a lot of money for her and she was very happy about that uh, we were going to do her next birthday and uh the pandemic hit so since then we were also going to do something for if you live in the dc area there's an exhibition nat geo exhibition at the nat geo museum uh about her life which is so incredible and if you have a chance run see it so since then i've been working with them on a few projects that they want to do and uh, that i pitched to, to them thinking be great for them fundraising so i'm staying in close touch and thank you for asking she's my hero as she is everyone and um you know just have reach ever, out uh, um, we, well, we are we are going to wind us up a little bit okay. today, and okay. we want to thank our fabulous guest today, Denise uh, Avshin, for her many insights into all of the fundraising escapades she's had. Hope to inspire some other people along the way. And her foundation information can be found online at erascience.org on Instagram at ERA Science and Facebook, among many others. And Denise, you want to say bye-bye to our listeners? Take us out. Bye-bye.
listeners, be brave, be bold, be courageous. Just if you have a dream, do it. Don't let things get in your way. Excellent. I love that advice. It's good for all of us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Late Boomers, the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. E-Women Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.